Does everybody know what it means to go down a rabbit hole? <laughs> Going down a rabbit hole is when we get caught in some, you know, like engrossing, time-consuming topic that, uh, you know, something catches your mind, right, and you just decide to pursue it. And it ends up taking you down this path that eats up a lot of time and maybe even energy. Right? And the phrase rabbit hole, the way that we think about it, originates from Alice in Wonderland. Where Alice saw the rabbit and followed the rabbit into his hole into the strange world of Wonderland. And there are many types of rabbit holes that you can go down. right? Like the tax law rabbit hole. Or the how to actually speak to a real person when I'm trying to get help on the phone rabbit hole. Or maybe my favorite, the what's wrong with me self-medical diagnosis rabbit hole. (laughs) In modern times, rabbit holes are increasingly connected to internet usage. Catherine Scholes of the New Yorker said, These days, when we say that we fell down the rabbit hole... We seldom mean that we wound up somewhere psychedelically strange. We mean that we got interested in something to the point of distraction, usually by accident, and usually to a degree that the subject in question might not seem to merit. The dictionary online added this, Thanks to the abundance, variety, and instant access of content online, many fall down internet rabbit holes which are often spectacularly and addictively niche. Scary stories, obscure conspiracy theories, or famous last meals, for instance. Other rabbit holes tend to be opened up by specific services or social media, which serve users item after item, link after link, Wikipedia, Netflix, Amazon, Facebook, YouTube, and so forth. These rabbit holes have become so common that people sometimes swap out rabbit for the name of the particular site. For example, I've fallen down an Instagram hole or I'm falling down a wiki hole. NBA star Kyrie Irving blamed a YouTube rabbit hole for his temporary belief that the earth is flat. (laughs) Like I said, today we are in between our study of the parables of Jesus and the short series that we're going to start next week on Christianity and government. And I wanted to take us to a short passage that I believe has many valuable lessons for us right now, including the danger of rabbit holes. Specifically, those things that keep us distracted from God, our mission, and what He has said to us in His Word. We're going to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. And if you have your bulletins, uh, also in the bulletin, as, as usual, there's an outline uh, with notes you know, blanks that you can fill in and places for you to take notes. And if you don't have a bulletin, then there's one just outside those doors. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, where the Apostle Paul is writing to a somewhat young pastor named Timothy. And he's passing on some wisdom as well as a challenge. And let's look what he said in the first five verses of chapter 4. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, 
who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. God, we ask you to use this passage, to use the truth that you have revealed for us in this passage to change us today. That it would be edifying, that it would be challenging, that it would be encouraging, that it would be everything that it needs to be so that we can become more like you and more effective for you in this world. And if there's anything in the way of that, in our own hearts this morning, we ask that you would break it down and that we would let you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as Paul starts this charge to Timothy, he begins by giving him a point on which to fix his gaze. And it's threefold, right? It was Jesus' judgment, his second coming, and his kingdom. Right? So Paul wants Timothy's eyes on the prize before he tells him what to do and how hard it's going to be. Which makes sense, right? He's about to tell him about this very difficult task ahead, and he's going to have to endure a lot. And so he, but Paul also knows that Timothy won't be able to accomplish the task if his eyes are not fixed on the right spot. And so this is where I might say, I would say maybe that Paul gave us the first step in avoiding the rabbit hole, which is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus. We'll reread verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. It's as if Paul is saying, Hey, Timothy, what I'm about to tell you isn't going to be easy. But here's what you can never forget Jesus is coming back to judge the world and establish his kingdom. You cannot forget that. He's about to tell Timothy how people will fall into these rabbit holes, so to speak, taking their eyes off Christ and his commands, and he doesn't want that for Timothy. And so he reminds him of what's at stake. And this, this is so true. When we forget what's at stake, we get distracted. Paul's about to tell him to preach the gospel, right? That's verse 2. Well, what keeps us focused on preaching the gospel? The fact that Jesus is coming back to judge the world and establish his kingdom. If that wasn't coming, then I wouldn't be so concerned, right? It wouldn't be that big of a deal. But it's when I forget this truth is that I take my eyes off of Christ and then let them wander and get fixed on something else, on the things of the world. That's when I fall down the rabbit holes that keep me off mission. And that's Satan's whole goal with Christians, right? He knows he has no power to take us out of God's hands. 
There's nothing that Satan can do to drag us out of heaven and into hell. And so that's not what he's working for in our lives, in Christian's life. Instead, he works so hard to keep us distracted so that we are ineffective for God's kingdom and don't drag people off of his team. And so first we have to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember what is at stake. When we don't remember what's at stake, we get distracted. It's like when you have a baby. Changing tables are a wonderful thing. But what can happen with babies and changing tables? They can roll off. And what happens if a baby rolls off a changing table? They can get seriously injured or even die. And it's when we forget that is when we walk away from the changing table and we put our baby in danger. When we forget what is at stake spiritually in our world is when we walk away from our mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And when we walk away from our mission, we put people in danger. So we have to have our focus in the right place, have our eyes on Jesus, and only then can we really effectively move to the second part of avoiding the rabbit holes, which is doing the job. Do the job. After giving Timothy a place to fix his gaze, then, then he tells him what to do. Right? Paul charges Timothy with the great task of preaching the gospel. He, he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Now, of course, Timothy had a unique role in our mission as a pastor. We know that not all of us are called to do what pastors do. But we all have ministry. All Christians are called to the Great Commission. We are meant to make disciples. We have a ministry and we're not supposed to just bury it in the ground, right? We have a boss who gave us a job and doing that job actually helps to keep us from getting distracted. That's, that's the interesting thing about it. Doing the job keeps us from going down the rabbit holes that keep us distracted from doing the job. Think of it this way. Let's picture ourselves, let's say that we are Alice and Wonderland is a very dangerous and bad place that we do not want to go. Okay, well, we've already talked about step one, which is fixing our gaze, right? Because if we're just wandering around aimlessly, you know, no mission, no goal, no purpose, we're just wandering aimlessly, well, we're more likely to get distracted by that rabbit and follow him into his hole. But if we have our gaze fixed on Christ, that helps a lot. A whole lot. But... However, if we just have our gaze fixed and then we sit there and we don't go anywhere, then we still leave ourselves vulnerable because we're just sitting still. We're complacent. And that's why we need step two, which is moving in the direction of our fixed gaze, right? So if we're like, all right, okay, Jesus is coming back to judge the world and establish his kingdom. Now, if we say, well, I'm just going to sit here and wait for him to do that. Eventually, eventually I'm going to get distracted. And I'm going to go chasing rabbits. Because I'm not moving. 
But if instead I say, Jesus is coming back to judge the world, establish his kingdom, I'm going to move towards that. I'm going to move towards that by following his commands. Then we're a lot less vulnerable because we'll keep our gaze fixed because we are moving and we don't want to get off course and be moving in the wrong direction. These are complementary to each other, really. It's like fixing our eyes on Christ gives us the motivation to actually move towards Him. And moving towards Him gives us motivation to keep our eyes fixed on Him. But I also want to look at the second part of this verse. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Now, that in season and out of season is not about a literal season for ministry. It's not like Paul is saying, hey, Timothy... You know, I know you usually get the summers off, but no. This is about convenience. It's like he's saying, be ready when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. And once we understand that, then we can still take it in a couple different directions, right? Because, wait a second, now is Paul talking about when it's convenient for Timothy or when it's convenient for Timothy's audience? And so, hopefully, and, and here's the, the thing, I think that in reality, according to the full counsel of Scripture, I think both are true and helpful in some sense. I mean, hopefully none of us would say that we only need to be willing to do the ministry that God has called us to when it's convenient for us. Because then we would be letting our our selfish nature take control of when we do ministry. And for most of us, ministry is rarely convenient. But what about the audience? Is this saying that we should do it whether it's convenient or not for them? Whether we are welcomed or not? I think it is. To a degree. And I think this passage itself tells us, right? Because we see that Paul is about to tell Timothy how people will reject the truth. And they will turn aside to myths and false gospels. But he says, do it anyway. Right? That doesn't mean that Timothy is supposed to stop preaching the gospel, right? If we only gave the world truth... When they wanted to hear it, we would rarely speak it. However, I also agree that this is not giving us a... This is not meant to be taken in a way of like we have some warrant to be disrespectful and impolite and bullish as we go about our mission. That's why I appreciate what John Stott said about this here. He said, it seems then that what we are given here is not a biblical warrant for rudeness, but a biblical appeal against laziness. And why would we need a biblical appeal against laziness? Beware the rabbit hole, which is verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. So the next step to avoid the rabbit holes is to be aware of them. Beware. If I say, that pothole... I'll say it again. Yes, that pothole. 
for many of you, a specific pothole just popped into your mind. Right? One that you have hit so many times that you now have memorized exactly where and when it is and exactly how and when you need to avoid it. And it's a lot easier, right? And it's the same way with these kinds of spiritual rabbit holes. If we are aware of them, if we're prepared for them, it's a lot easier to avoid them. And Paul wanted Timothy to be prepared for a time when ministry would be difficult because people would take their eyes off Christ, falling down these rabbit holes, and instead focus on the false gospels, the false doctrine, and the myths. And you can't help but think about how true that is right now, today. And it seems like many Christians were not prepared for it. They didn't see it coming. I mean, I've seen it just in my time. I've seen so many Christians and churches turn to prosperity gospel or the social gospel or universalism or new age spirituality and Even this year alone, I've seen so many Christians take their eyes off Christ and instead redirect them towards politics and economics, social issues, important things, but not more important than God. Distractions nonetheless. Kent Hughes and Brian Chappelle pointed me to Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31 which says, an appalling, horrible thing has taken place in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own authority. My people love it like this. But what will you do at the end of it? Church, we know what's going to happen at the end of this time. Jesus is coming back to judge the world and establish His kingdom. Describing this kind of people that I think we see here in Jeremiah and in our passage in Timothy, John Stott also said, the criterion by which they judge teachers is not as it should be God's Word, but their own subjective taste. Worse still, they do not first listen and then decide whether what they have heard is true. They first decide what they want to hear and then select teachers who will oblige by towing their line. Rejecting sound doctrine is the easy way out. We haven't been called to walk the easy, wide path, have we? We've been called to walk the difficult, narrow path. I had a Bible teacher one time tell me that the more difficult uh, interpretation of a passage often ends up in the end being the right one. Because it's natural for the truth to be in contradiction with my sinful, selfish self that just wants the easy way out. And we live in a time when it is easy to choose your own teacher. It is easy to do this, to multiply teachers that will tell you what you want to hear. Easier than ever in history. Not that long ago, there weren't so many choices. 
You just had your local church. And then whenever literacy increased and we had books become more affordable, well, that increased your ability to find other teachers. And then radio came along and added more to the buffet. And then TV came along and added even more. But now we have the internet. Take your pick. You don't even have to wait for it to be broadcasted anymore. It's available 24-7. Millions upon millions of sermons and blogs and podcasts and teachers at your disposal. You want a Bible teacher who will give you permission to leave your family? Done. You want someone to tell you that your loved one who died and never repented and put their faith in Christ and Christ alone will still be in heaven? Done. You want somebody to tell you that pornography is okay? Done. You want somebody to make a biblical argument for abortion? Done. Whatever it is you want to hear, there is a preacher for that. And we don't even have to work to multiply these guys anymore. The the algorithms do it for us. YouTube, Facebook, Google, and many more will bring these teachers to you. They will spoon feed you whatever you want as long as it keeps you watching. They don't care. You are the product. Your attention is what makes them money. And now 2020 comes along and exacerbates all of this. Many people who have been home this year, away from their churches, have chosen to listen to a variety of other teachers instead of their own pastors. But let me tell you this, there is no better pastor than your own. And don't misunderstand that. That's not me saying that, there's, that all pastors are good and that there's not people out there who shouldn't have anybody listening to them because there absolutely are. But what I am saying is that those guys out on the internet are not the ones who will give an account for us. We don't know them. And they don't know us. They're not the ones we've been called to obey. Thir- Hebrews thirteen seventeen: Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. That's not talking about those random people out on the internet. That's talking about our, our pastors, the elders of our local churches, The churches that we've committed to, when we find a healthy church, is important to commit to it and let our leaders lead with joy, equipping us for the work of the ministry. And the here's the irony: the irony of me even saying this here this morning is that those who need to hear it most probably won't, right? Because they're more likely to either be watching nothing right now or watching their favorite YouTube or TV preacher. Now, I'm not saying that Toby and I are the best preachers, because we're not, but what I am saying is that we're the best for Riviera Baptist Church. Because we love this church. We shepherd this flock. We know this flock. We are the ones who will have to give an account. We 
What does Paul say after this warning about these rabbit holes? But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Essentially, he says, don't give up. So he's told them, stay focused on Christ. He tells them to preach the gospel. And then he warns them, here's how hard this is going to be. And then he reiterates the need to do it anyway. And not give up. Those verses that we read in Jeremiah showed us about the kind of people who loved their lying prophets and their priests who were power hungry. And in a world like that, much like I think the world that Paul is describing in this passage, those kinds of teachers don't have to exercise self-control and endure suffering. It's the speakers of truth who have to do that. Again, I love what John Stott said about this passage. He said, although the people will not listen to the sound teaching, Timothy must persist in teaching it, and so be prepared for suffering on account of the truth he refuses to compromise. Whenever the biblical faith becomes unpopular, ministers are sorely tempted to mute those elements which give most offense. I know what he's talking about. I understand those feelings. Those feelings in your gut when you're about to say something that you know you know is true and needs to be said, but you also know is going to be controversial and offensive. And those kinds of things are multiplying fast right now. Like the list just gets longer every day. I mean, who would have thought that so quickly it would be controversial to say that boys aren't girls and girls aren't boys? teach that to my children. That it would be a controversy as a Christian to oppose abortion. But the difficulty of, this, of the task is no excuse to stop. It's no excuse to slow down, right? Just because some seed is going to get plucked up by birds, some choked by thorns, and some scorched by the sun is not an excuse to just stop throwing the seed, We throw it because some of it is going to land on the good soil. People will be saved. And even if they weren't going to be, we throw it because our master told us to. As a preacher myself, even when when you faithfully speak the truth and, and people don't outwardly reject it, right? You still wonder, is it connecting on the inside. Like those verses in Jeremiah teach us about one kind of people, but Ezekiel teaches us about another. Again, Hughes, uh, Kent Hughes and Brian Chappelle pointed me to Ezekiel 33. Verses 31 and 32 says, So my people come to you in crowds, sit in front of you and hear your words, but they don't obey them. Their mouths go on passionately, but their hearts pursue dishonest profit. Yes, to them you are like a singer of passionate songs who has a beautiful voice and plays skillfully on an instrument. They hear your words, but they don't obey them. I can't tell you like, how much I relate to that sometimes. And honestly, I don't care. If you like my preaching, I don't care if you like 
the music. I don't care if you like the paint and the decorations in the hallways. What I care about most is that you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind rather than conformed to the spirit of this world. I would much rather have someone here that doesn't like my preaching style, doesn't like the music style, doesn't like the decorations, doesn't like our church government, but does let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit continue to change them than someone who likes everything but stays the same. Now... Don't get me wrong, I'm also not opposed to people who like everything and continue to be transformed. <laughs> I'm okay with that too. I give that two thumbs up. But here's where we have to land. Satan loves to keep us distracted. And if you are here this morning and you have never truly repented of your sins and put your faith in what Christ did for you on the cross and chosen to make him your Lord and your Savior, if you've never done that, Satan will do everything he can to keep you distracted from realizing that you need to be saved. He will fill your life with so many lies that you can barely hear the truth. He is a master at it. But the truth will set you free. And if you are here today and you have repented and you are known by Christ, Satan will do everything he can to keep us distracted so that we don't set others free with the truth. He will put so many rabbit holes out there that we'll feel like we're walking through a minefield. And that's exactly what he wants because he wants our eyes to be down, focused on what's around us, instead of up, focused on what's ahead. But lift your eyes up. Jesus is coming again to judge the world and establish his kingdom. So you want to avoid the rabbit holes that keep us off mission. Well, first is keep your eyes on Christ. Seriously, don't get distracted with politics, material things, economics, or conspiracy theories. Please. Of course, you know, some conspiracy theories are true. But the problem is we don't know which ones are and which ones aren't. And even if we did, so what? What if the election was rigged this year? What if it was rigged four years ago? So what? Is, is focusing on that really what's going to keep us on mission? For the spiritual wars that we have to fight? Is anything going to change the fact that God is still sovereign? And Jesus is coming again to judge the world and establish His kingdom? Please hear this. Like if, if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, hear this. Whether we are distracted by something that is true or by something that is not true, Satan still wins as long as we are distracted. And second, do the job. Keep moving, right? When we get complacent, we get vulnerable. It's easier for our eyes to wander. Don't wait for ministry to be convenient or you will always find a reason to keep waiting. 
I would much rather have people in our church who try and mess up than people who never try. Third, beware the rabbit holes. I'm warning you, have your eyes peeled because they're everywhere. And they're all around us. It's not like one hole anymore. It's just like we're surrounded by them. And here's the thing. Nowadays, they don't even sit still waiting for us to come to them. They are moving towards us. They are coming after us. And they will suck us in and hurt us and those that we love if we don't keep our eyes on Christ and keep moving towards Him. And finally, don't give up. It's almost as if these verses were like the inspiration for when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Which is why Paul could say to Timothy right after this, in the very next three verses, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Remember, Christ is coming again to judge the world and establish his kingdom. What will we do with that truth? Will we take our eyes off of it? chase other things? Will we stare at it and do nothing? Or will we fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith, and prioritize the king that we love over all the things that we like? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and what you did in his life, the amazing things that you used him for. We thank you for inspiring him to write these things down for us. And they are so true. They're so relevant. Oh God, we ask that you would help us to not be distracted. Lord, we ask that you would help us to keep our eyes on Christ and to move in the direction that he has called us to move in and to be aware of all the dangers along the way and to not give up even when it gets difficult. This narrow, hard road that we walk is worth it because of what's at the end. that crown of righteousness, that prize of being able to be with you in all of your glory, in all of your splendor, in all of your wonder. It's worth it. And help us to take as many people as we can with us. 
Lord, we ask these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.